What's up, everybody, and welcome to part two of the Scientology Going Clear uh, documentary review. Um, As we left off previously, we were talking about the various happenings in this documentary, and I really highly suggest you go listen to part one before you even mess with this part two, because how I kind of broke it down was... um, I've just kind of... We're just kind of going right into where we picked up uh, last week. Picked up? Picked up? um last week so why did you sound like lrh there for a second <laughs> that is why we picked up with the camera and the pitcher <laughs> trying to have this fucking what transatlantic accent douche um so yeah go and check out part one if you haven't already and then uh give part two a listen but uh without further ado here is part two And then you cut to crazy old David Miscavige. Crazy Dave. Crazy Dave. Crazy old David like, Miscavige. This guy is a straight up dictator, straight out of Nazi Germany. Like, this guy is a, scary. So he's on the pulpit in front of all of his, his sycophant followers, and he's going, Thank you. In 1980, LRH moved off the line so that he could continue his writings and researches without any distractions. He has now moved on to his next OT, level of OT research. This is beyond anything any one of us ever imagined. This level is in fact done in an exterior state, meaning that it is done completely exterior from the body. At this level of OT, the body is nothing more than an impediment and encumbrance to any further gain as an OT. Thus, at 2,000 hours, Friday, the 24th of January, AD 36, L. Ron Hubbard discarded the body he had used in his lifetime for 74 years, 10 months, and 11 days. Jesus, are you going to count the seconds and minutes, too? (laughs) Although you may feel grief, understand that he did not and does not now. Now that was a clip. That was an archival clip of. He sounds like a spokesperson for like uh, those late night uh, infomercial stuff. Yeah. you know, isn't it pesky trying to get into your house and not having a light to see the door? <laughs> Introducing the new handy light. <laughs> so uh, the Alex Gibney comes back in with more narration. Hubbard died of a stroke in 1986, but he left no plan for succession. The ambitious David Miscavige stepped forward and by bending arms and making deals, took control of the church and installed a new generation of lieutenants. David Miscavige, we want to make sure that all of us end cycle on this completely so we can get on with the job that is ahead of us. Tom DeVote, Church of Scientology executive from 1986 to 2005 is the next one to be interviewed. The first time I met Miscavige was in 1983. He was a guy running back and forth between Hubbard and the property in Hemet in a van, back and forth, delivering messages. Worked my way through the organization, and Miscavige would come down to Florida where I was running the place, and we slowly and surely became friends. By 2001, I was working directly for Miscavige. We'd sit and drink a bottle of scotch, and I'd hear everything he had to say about the church, about the people involved from his perspective. And honestly, it was uh, horrifying. 
It was scary. In Scientology, there was a concept that 98% of the people are good and 2% are evil. Well, he worked very hard to convince me that it was the other way around. 2.5% were okay, and the rest were evil and bad. And somehow, they'd all been dumped on that base so that they could be around him. He was he was extremely paranoid. So then it comes to Marty Rathburn. Um, this is a pretty important figure. He mm-hmm. was uh, David Miscavige's top lieutenant from 1987 all the way to 2004. And what's crazy about these lieutenants and Miscavige at this point, like in the 80s, they're all dressed up like they're naval yeah, commanders. Yeah. Like they have like... Like they're from the Navy or something. They have that little like There's... golden rope around their shoulder and the yeah. hat and the, you know, the whole fatigue, you know. And um, so off camera, they're going, so Marty, is Miscavige a true believer? And that cuts to Marty. Uh, yes, he has to continue to believe because if he looks at it rationally and he sees that it is, as I say, it will destroy him. You know, he'll just realize that because he's done a lot worse than I've done. He's abused people on a personal level um, as a uh, that's that's how he got to the top. And uh, that's how he stayed at the top. At the age of 11, David Miscavige joined the church with his parents. As a child, his ambition caught Hubbard's eye. So when Hubbard wanted to become a filmmaker, Miscavige was his assistant cameraman. An auditing prodigy, he claimed Scientology cured his asthma. He became a sort of general contractor for the church and was soon named Action Chief, the man who did whatever needed doing for a church that developed a scary reputation for attacking its critics. And it, there's a news reporter who's quoted here, Scientology has been in the headlines off and on for 25 years now, almost since the time it has been founded as a religion. Scientology's story is, is one of a church embittered by what it perceives as harassment. David Miscavige, we're talking about attacks from multi-billion dollar media conglomerates. World governments, real powers of the world. And uh, the reporter, I think it's the reporter, right? Sorry, I lost my place here. Uh, so many fun. <laughs> All right. Yeah, hold on, let's do you an edit do an there. edit there. Okay. 146. Jesus, this is long. It's going to be long. <laughs> I don't... If only someone named Mike had warned me. No, I'm just joking. Well, we did. So the, there was a good bit of bullshitting in there from uh, uh, me having to get the laptop. and. Yeah, yeah. So the next uh, one is a reporter. I'll take that. So, all right, I'll just start. They take enemies very seriously. This comes right out of Hubbard's own policies from the 1960s, saying, We never defend, we always attack. And they have followed it ever since. They call it fair game. And anybody who criticizes Scientology is fair game. Then Tom DeVoct comes in. Whatever you're told, whatever needs to be done, if it's against the law, it doesn't matter. Which is just crazy. The reporter comes in again. The best example is in the mid-1970s, Scientologists were walking in to these Department of Justice offices and IRS offices and taking documents out by the yard. The FBI raided the Church of Scientology, the largest raid in FBI history at the time. Spanky Taylor comes in. Oh my god, the building is filled with FBI and they're taking things. It was craziness. Clearly, L. Ron Hubbard was in charge of all of that, but he was only named an undicted co-conspirator. And Mary Sue Hubbard, Hubbard's wife, she went to prison. Ten others went to prison. Then Marty Rathburn comes in. This was where I cut my teeth. I was in my early 20s. Miscavige was in his early 20s. We were taking over for this group. 
that had created the largest domestic espionage operation in the history of the United States. They were breaking into offices, framing people. This is the activities of a church? There was a guy who, uh, you know, was a reporter for the LA Times, whose dog was poisoned while he was working on a Scientology story. Again and again, while reporting the story, we met many former members who described Scientology as a dangerous and deeply paranoid organization. Then they give a bunch of testimonies from a bunch of people from old news clips about what the church had done uh, to harass them. Like they would hire private detectives to harass people. Uh, People were sued. Financial ruin. Years of harassment. Some guy was sued twice. Somebody was sued twice. Not once, twice. By Homes were broken into. People would have, they would have them beaten, chased around, followed in an airport, got a hold of personal phone records, slash tires. I mean, Jesus, you name it. They pretty much did it. Then it cuts back to uh, Mike. Well, there was this one guy. He was locked in a chicken wire cage. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Uh, (laughs) Cuts back to Mike Rinder saying, uh, my position as the spokesperson was to evade the question or sleaze around some way or give what was an acceptable answer or something that I believed at the time. Because Scientology is perceived and conceived by Scientologists as being the salvation for mankind, you can have people that lie with a very straight face if they believe that what they are doing is protecting the Church of Scientology. And it cuts to an interview clip of a news official interviewing Mike Rinder. L. Ron Hubbard says, We do not find critics of Scientology who do not have criminal pasts. Do you believe that? Sure. Sure. People who oppose you are undoubtedly criminals? I believe that, yeah. You know, there isn't and hasn't been any effort which has been taken to, quote, silence critics? (laughs) No, that doesn't happen. Oh, we would never do that. (laughs) But according to many insiders, Hubbard was growing more and more vindictive towards those who stood in his way. He created what he called the Rehabilitation Project Force. And then it cuts to Spanky Taylor. The RPF was what we called it. It was a prison camp where you'd go for reindoctrination. Holy shit. This is just gets even more messed up. It was on the seventh floor of the Hollywood headquarters, a confined space to rehabilitate members who might be harboring subversive thoughts. Spanky was sent to the RPF when she objected to the way that the church had denied medical treatment to her boss. And this is Spanky Taylor. I went thinking, of course, this is a big mistake. And then I got there, and there were like 200 of us. So much of the exec strata of the organization there hit the skids simultaneously. Then it cuts to Mike Rinder. RPF stands for Rehabilitation Project Force. It is a program that is exclusively for the benefit of C organization members. If they are stressed out, if they're not doing well on their job, uh, have them do menial-type work and five hours a day of auditing and Scientology training. It's a fabulous program. Now, now this is, a, this is an old clip of Mike Rinder <laughs> yeah, saying Yeah, exactly. When- it goes back to Spanky Taylor. We were working, cross my heart, 30 hours on three hours off, doing like hard labor, like having wire brushes on windowsills and sanding and sanding and sanding, breathing paint fumes. The regular crew would eat first, and then we'd get what was left. It was kind of like table scraps. There was mattresses out there on the roof, and they were wet and soggy and gross. And if you got to sleep on it for three hours, sometimes you just have to get up there and crash out. And I had a young child at that time who was ten months old, and when I went to the RPF, she had got taken and put into the cadet org, the organization for the children, and then I got pregnant, 
when I was in the RPF, so now I'm sanding walls, eating table scraps, pregnant, and worrying about myself sick, worrying myself sick about my child. In Spanky's time, the children of Sea Org members were separated from their parents and raised in the Cadet Org to remove all distractions from their parents' ultimate responsibility, to clear the planet. Sea Org members were often pressured to have abortions because the church viewed getting children as an unpractical burden. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yeah, that that's a that's a church that really has a lot of compassion. Yeah, I wonder now, if they tell it? people that at the uh, orientation. <laughs> yeah, that would be one of those things that just I think people would just leave as soon as they hear that kind of thing. And I'm just like, uh, yeah, um, and um, we if if you have a kid, we we really would appreciate if you would have an abortion because we feel that having children is an unpractical burden. Uh, it gets in the way of our mission to clear the planet. So it goes back to Spanky Taylor. Initially, you're like, this is absurd. This is nuts. And then you kind of settle in and go, well, obviously I need to deal with something that I'm not facing. So perhaps this is, they're doing this to make me better. There are so many bizarre stories that you just, just hard to believe stuff. They asked if I could arrange a private screening of Saturday Night Fever. And I was like, What? I disappeared from this man's life. I abandoned him, and now you want me to arrange a private screening? What are you, nuts? I said, is there anything else? Maybe a Beatles reunion? (laughs) (laughs) Travolta had been wandering where Spank... Wandering? Travolta had been wondering where Spanky was. When she was sent to the RPF, she was not allowed to contact him or anybody else. But now, under the watch of a guard, she was permitted to call Travolta's assistant. She she said that we could use John's personal print of the film under one condition, that you will see John. I was so excited. I hadn't had dialogue with him for many months. We had the screening of the film, and on the next night, I was supposed to have dinner with Johnny. And after the screening, I was abruptly told that I wasn't going to see him, and that I needed to call and cancel. He was truly angry at me for, for, for having allowed this abuse of myself, and, you know, for having... That so having that so little of myself that I would allow this degree of degradation, and um, and he was my good friend, and I knew that he was telling me the truth. Those words were such a wake up call for me, and I went over there to the cadet org, and there were so many sick children in there, and my daughter was very very ill, burning up with fever, completely neglected, in a urine soaked crib. Her eyes were so filled with mucus they were welded shut. She had fruit flies on her body, and I just I just couldn't bear it. I just went, no, Mm-mm. I'm done. I mean, I just knew I could make these choices for me. I could decide to give up my life and do this to help the world, but I couldn't make these choices for my children. I just had to get her out. I told them I was having problems with my pregnancy, and I needed to use the phone, so they sent the bodyguard, sent a bodyguard with me. I called one of the few non-Scientologists I knew, a wonderful woman who happened to work for John Travolta, I said, meet me at this address. I gave her a time, and I hung up. I go up to my daughter's room, and I wrapped her up, and there's that bodyguard with me. And I said, oh, my sister-in-law is in that car, and she's going to take the baby to the doctor. And he said, well, has this been approved? Of course, it, it was approved. And she's in my arms, and I got in the car. My friend, she just nods her head, and boom. With that, I pull my leg in, shut that door, she hits the locks, and we drive. And people are yelling my name saying, Spanky, no, no. I mean, 
just freaked out. And I'm thinking, I'm a dead person. Something's terrible. Something terrible is going to happen to me. I was just so frightened that they would come and fetch me up. Spanky left the church in 1987. Woo! Yeah! Yeah. <laughs> like, that one, that really got me. Because that's just so sad. And really, really messed up. And shows the level of abuse that was going on during Miscavige's reign. In some ways, might still be going on, for all we know. Yeah, for I all mean, we know. kids just being left there in a urine-soaked crib with their eyes welded shut because of the mucus, fruit flies flying all over them, uh, the whole, f- oh, you're not acting like we want you to, so we're going to send you to a rehabilitation camp and make you do hard labor. Yeah, again, I don't think any of this was in the orientation when you first go in to uh, meet with Scientologists. <laughs> and it doesn't help either that if you're a part of the Sea Org, you get paid peanuts. So, oh yeah, yeah, Then and, and they get to that eventually. Like, yeah, you get like 50 cents an hour or something ridiculous like that. It's it's like basically like like free labor. So then it cuts back to Lawrence Wright, and he says, One of the turning points in Travolta's relationship with the church is when he understood what was happening to Spanky. He, he didn't do anything about it. And, and it goes back to Spanky. I know that he certainly got exposed to the fact that not everything was on the up and up. Why that wasn't sufficient for him to leave, I don't know. I often wonder what could possibly keep him there. Then, and Marty Rathbun comes in, and this, is, this, is, this really does show how you should not ever join Scientology or anything like this because they don't have your best interests in mind and they're just totally invading your privacy because Marty Rathman just drops a total truth bomb here. An auditor learns to keep notes comprehensively as if he's doing a session about every detail of the person's life, back to birth and beyond. And if you do the whole program, you end up with a file cabinet up to a file cabinet full of pre-clear folders on notations about your life, your thoughts, and your considerations about your life. It's the most intimate detail. You're always encouraged and you're always threatened to disclose more and more. And all of it is recorded. All of his material, which is represented to you to be held sacrosanct, in fact, any information that might do some harm to the organization gets unclassified automatically and gets reported to another branch of the church that deals with ethics. Then it cuts to Tom DeVocht, and he says, Travolta was down in Clearwater. We'd finished the renovations. Every auditing room had two cameras, one on the meter and one on the guy getting auditing. Miscavige would sit in this 15 by 15 room, cameras of every session. Uh, you can flip between them. And he was watching these things, and it was for training purposes. Well, Travolta saw that, and he said, I will not be videoed. So I was there when they were setting it up, and Miscavige was directing it, saying, uh, get him into a hotel room and hook up secret private videos. <laughs> the balls on Miscavige, really. So then Lawrence Wright comes in and says there were rumors that Travolta was threatening to leave. And then Mike Rinder comes in, and he goes, and another Scientologist told me that he was delegated to create a black pa- PR package... Of all the damaging material they could use against Travolta, which came from his auditing sessions. I know this because I used to do it. When I was the head of the Office of Special Affairs, we would put a team of people onto going through all of these PC folders and finding things that they believe by exposing them or threatening to expose them 
will cower the person and um, they would worry them into silence. And and then you have Marty Rathbun who comes in. He says, there is a particular writing where Hubbard is training these Office of Special Affairs people on how when you use private information to control somebody to do what you want them to do and to silence them from speaking out against Scientology. It's really not blackmail because you're not asking for money. But you're holding the secret information over the person's head to silence them. As far as Travolta is concerned, people say, well, he, there's all these things that we know about that have been rumored in the tabloids. But in fact, it's more of a two-way street. You know he's provided with an auditor whose shoulder he can cry on, but he's also provided with the muscle of the church in the form of myself and Mike Rinder. On many occasions, we were sent out to get with his publicist, to get with his lawyer, and to help squash or intimidate these people that are making accusations against him. Now, the biggest thing about John Travolta that, in my personal opinion, Josh speaking here, not quoting the movie or anything, (laughs) um, in the scene where they're talking about you know what what people know what's going on at tabloids with travolta it's that he's possibly gay like that's been yeah. the biggest rumor with Tra- john travolta you know for the as long as i can remember is that john mm-hmm. travolta i remember yeah. there was some incident in some massage parlor apparently with him and some young younger guy or something like that and and so mm-hmm. They're kind of alluding to that, and they show the tabloid in the documentary. They showed the Travolta's gay tabloid, and so basically they're yeah. alluding to the fact that, you know, oh, well, why is Travolta staying in the church? Well, he doesn't want this black PR pack to get exposed, you know, that's basically, I, you know, I would imagine maybe, you know, being this big superstar, he can have any anybody he wants, whether that's a... a you know, a fucking male model or whatever, you know, yeah. so... Well, I mean, especially considering nowadays when you have the whole, you know, the recent alleg- allegations that have propped up with all the these Weinstein Hollywood... Shit. So, you know, these Hollywood uh, big shots getting exposed as sexually assaulting people. I mean, recently Kevin Spacey I can't was, believe that Kevin Spacey... Man, yeah. he, I, I loved him as an actor. Now I'm all, like, mm-hmm. a little creeped out. Man, what the fuck is wrong with it, dude? Like, what, what, the Dustin Hoffman, even? Like, the Dustin Hoffman one, it's one of those where it's like, it's bad, but he he actually owned up to it, which really meant a lot to me. Well, Spacey did, like, too, and he, he, was, got, he, was, he got he got shit-canned. Yeah, he got shit-canned. But uh, it seems like Hoffman was just... It, it, it doesn't seem like he actually, like, had sex with the girl... He just did the, you know, lecherous old, you know, type stuff, which is not cool. And I, I don't really appreciate that at all. But it's one of those things where I, it's it's how he responded to it. And he was very humble about it. And that goes a long way for me. But regardless, that's not cool. And nobody should be doing that kind of stuff. I mean, I am, gl- Movie star I am glad not. that it's all coming out now. And I'm glad that these people are are getting, you know, burned because mm-hmm. you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't be able to do that shit, you know? No. And I think a lot of these men in Hollywood, they they become famous and they, you know, it's no secret about the whole when you're a star, you can have anything you want. And I think it goes to their head and they see an attractive woman and they're like, I want her and I'm going to 
get what I want and no, I'm not going to yeah. take no for an answer. I want to, I want to smack her ass. I'm just going to smack her ass because I'm Dustin Hoffman. Right. And, and you know, yeah, these people should get burned for that. And, and, uh, yeah. you know, men all over the world who are doing these things, they should know that if you do this shit, there are dire fucking consequences because I'm tired of all the times I've had girlfriends and I was afraid to take them uh, to a bar and leave them alone for a few seconds while I went to use a bathroom because of some fucking creep or something like saying or doing something inappropriate, you know? Yeah. So it's like, I'm, I'm glad mm-hmm. that, you know, these people are getting so slapped, in, you know, in the face and in the dick. <laughs> so, uh, which, which Revolta, yeah, it's, I don't know if the rumors are true, but they probably have a lot of dirt on him. And I would imagine that would be, you know, kind of where it's leaning towards the whole sexuality thing. Mm-hmm. So Lawrence Wright, they cut to him. And he says, once that happened, I think he was really the church's captain. And then it cuts to a night. 19- and it cuts yeah. to this video, which is you could tell, like, John is kind of like feigning happiness. You yeah. Know? And this is at a point in his career where he was on a downside anyway. Yeah. So it it was honestly kind of sad to see that see that video where he's just like, Yay, Elrond's birthday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's cutting some cake or something like that. Yeah, because this was before Pulp Fiction, but like way after Saturday Night Fever. So it was that weird like eighties yeah. period. Did he even do anything like in the eighties that was He did a movie called Perfect that didn't make any money in nineteen eighty five or eighty six and he had something that was uh little hit uh actually it's pretty decent hit in in look who's talking in the late 80s but yeah other than that it was just a real struggle for travolta in the 80s that's crazy a whole decade of struggling that that that's uh some stick to itiveness there to just not completely give up or go crazy Maybe that's yeah. when he started sucking dick. Moving on, uh, cuts to Lawrence. <laughs> 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 moves on to Lawrence Wright, and he goes, uh, when they were facing lawsuits and stuff like that, he'd be brought forward and make his testimony about how great Scientology is, uh, Travolta would. He had the opportunity to affect the behavior of the church, and he chose not to. Now I've been a solid... And then it goes to Travolta... Solid it, uh, yeah, it, it cuts to John Travolta. And he goes, "Now I've been a Scientologist for 23 years. I felt like I pioneered. I have felt like a pioneer in many ways, and I've seen my efforts come to fruition in various ways. Uh, I think very few people can say that. Uh, I'm part of a of a frontier in a way, you know, uh, that very few people ever get to be a part of. And he forgot to add, uh, very few people want to fucking be a part of. Yeah, and then exactly." I, and I, also, when it comes to, to uh, Travolta with that whole sort of thing, it, it, it's, it is one of those, it's, he can tell that he's actually bought into this because pretty soon after this kind of stuff, like, I mean, he's the one who advocated for Battlefield, Battlefield Earth to be oh, made, God. which is an absolutely terrible film. And he was the lead in it. And he it was a dream of his to get that made because L. Ron Hubbard wrote the book. And, and and it's ass of a movie you say I've never seen it of course oh it's absolutely <laughs> terrible have you have you heard of have you seen watched, clips of it I, I watched like, Nostalgia Critic uh, do a thing on it but that's about it yeah where he's all like <laughs> back when you know it's like I was conquering galaxies <laughs> <laughs> it was so bad so uh, then it cuts to Marty Rathburn uh, saying uh, 
Well, actually, it cuts to uh, 1993 video with David Miscavige starting his speech. Yeah, and he just says, thank you, welcome says, to the church. That's why I skipped it, because it wasn't... Yeah, but the way he says it, you know, is like, nobody really goes in, and when they have, like, a church, then nobody's like, thank you, welcome to oh, church. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that actually was pretty cringy. <laughs> Said Marty Rathburn goes, it was the biggest event in Scientology history. And of course, Miscavige wanted to milk it for everything he had. It's this grand produced thing where it's all a single person on a gigantic stage. All this sort of Nazi symbolism. <laughs> I cl- Really? Yeah. It, I, it is. It looks like shit straight out of Triumph of the Will. Like, it is like, wow. I clearly recall getting prepared for this event and Miscavige up in that office, you know, going 18 to 20 hours a day writing this speech and thinking to myself, my God, you know, this is not just a victory celebration. This this is a coup. And what are we talking about? We're going to get to that. Then you have David Miscavige from the 1993 video. Oh, I got it. What were you? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> what we are going to talk about is the war to end all wars. When you are in Scientology, you are in all the way. There's no half in and half out. <laughs> <laughs> I just love how he says that shit with a straight face. You're in. Scientology, you are in all the way. You are in balls You are taking deep. this science. <laughs> you are taking this Scientology dick up your ass. All the way up your ass. There is no half in and no half out. <laughs> Those better be tears then, of joy I see streaming down your face. Sounds like the, uh, remember the, when you'd call the oh, movie phone thing? Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to movie phone. God, jeez, <laughs> that is so, dude, I remember using that thing, man. That's David Miscavige for you, he's the movie phone guy. <laughs> Gone wild. So tell us what happened, Mike. A decade into Miscavige's leadership, a simmering crisis finally came to a boil. For years, Hubbard had insisted that Scientology was a religion and should be tax-exempt, so he had refused to pay any taxes. Marty Rathbun is uh, interviewed here. We were facing a tax bill of over a billion dollars, and the total assets, liquid and material, on the property of the church was about a quarter of that at the time in the 80s. And so just from a real simple accounting basis, it was life and death. We don't get exemption, we die. If we get it, Then it comes to David Miscavige. As LRH said, one certainly couldn't contest anyone, quote, as holy as the commissioner of the IRS, whom I believe gives God his orders, LRH. (laughs) Everybody in the audience laughs. (laughs) Goes back to Lawrence Wright. Faced with this crisis, David Miscavige formulated a strategy. Think of the nerve that it takes to decide to take on a war with the IRS. Cuts back to David Miscavige. The Church of Scientology has been crucifying the federal agency for its sins on a regular basis, both in and out of courts. Cuts the reporter from... Thousands of Scientologists all filed lawsuits, not just against the IRS, but against individual IRS employees. 2,400 total lawsuits all going at the IRS at one time. It was a litigation nightmare. 
Marty Rathbun, being Miscavige's right-hand man, I was in charge of all those efforts. We were not only suing them in every possible jurisdiction there was, we were investigating the IRS for crimes generally, or things that would offend the public. In the late 80s, there were hearings about IRS abuses that had nothing to do with Scientology, had nothing to do with nonprofits, and nothing to do with churches. They had to do with Joe Taxpayer. And they and they were and then we were publishing these glossy expensive magazines Cuts to David Miscavige. In fact, the expose of IRS crimes were so hated that possession of Freedom Magazine was banned by IRS officials in the IRS building. Now Freedom Magazine was the uh, magazine that expensive glossy magazine that Marty Rathbun was talking yeah. about that Scientology was printing out. So we go back to old Marty here. There's going to be an IRS conference in the Catskills, right? And so we would send a PI, find out which hotel it's going to be at, get down there during happy hour, socialize. And this guy's telling who's drinking what. And so we go through the Freedom of Information Act to find out that the taxpayers are paying the bar bill. And it's so much money. And of course, you know, in in, in the scheme of things, it's nothing. But from a PR perspective, it's and it everything. Cuts back to Miscavige. IRS officials told me to my face they weren't interested in hearing anything I had to say because, and I quote, you are a Scientologist. You are a mindless robot. Well, <laughs> those who know me can imagine my response. It was short, but certainly made the point. And like everyone in the church is going ape shit clapping. <laughs> Yay! Yeah, idiots. What a smug uh, right, son of a I know. bitch. Jeez. When he delivered that line and he gave that pause, he's like, you know, where he's like, you know, those who know me can imagine my response. It was short, <laughs> but it certainly made the point. It's like, oh, you cheeky little bastard. Look at you. Aren't you cute? He's a perfect uh, guy to take the mantle uh, from another cheeky that's, bastard that's in LRH. But I don't believe one bit that the IRS officials said what he said. No, I don't believe he, that. That was shit. obviously, you know, made up. Can you just imagine that? You are a Scientologist. You are a mindless robot. Yeah. Well, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Cuts to Lawrence Wright. A negotiation began to take place between the IRS and the Church of Scientology. How do you define a religion? It's not so easy. Why is one body of thinking a religion and another body not? The only organization entitled to make these distinctions is the IRS. Is the IRS as an agency, and they're very poorly equipped to do that. I mean, they're mainly accountants and lawyers. They're not theologians. And it's the only opinion that matters. Once the IRS has decided that you are a religion, then you are protected by the vast protections of the Comes First back Amendment. To David Miscavige. And as the saying goes, the rest is history. On October 1st, 1993, at 8.37 p.m. Jeez, what's up with this guy and counting fucking specific times of shit? <laughs> uh, at 8.37 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Jesus, he's got to give us EST as well? Good Lord. <laughs> the IRS issued letters recognizing Scientology and every one of its organizations as fully tax-exempt. The war is over. And they had this like they had this god awful like a computer graphic on the screen. It's like the war is over! Exclamation point! Exclamation point! <laughs> like, it was like fireworks yeah, and shit, and like 
like the Deutschland <laughs> Uber Alles might as well have been playing at that yeah. point. Yeah, that's totally like a Hitler speech. It really is. The war ended because the IRS surrendered. It forgave the billion-dollar tax bill and granted Scientology its tax exemption. Even Hubbard's novels were declared religious texts and their sales exempt from taxes. There's a reporter who's interviewed. What happened is that Fred Goldberg, who was the IRS commissioner at that time, Miscavige let Goldberg know that if we could find a way to get these tax-exempt status... All those lawsuits will go away. Then Rowdy Rathbun comes in and goes, and as we were going out the front door, Fred Goldberg goes, is he serious? And I said, yeah. And he sort of breathed this sigh of relief and kind of nodded and smiled. At the church's victory party, Miscavige projected photos of the church's executives celebrating with IRS officials. Cuts back to Marty. It created this tremendous juggernaut of tight conspiracy of the membership that existed. But what it really did was enable Miscavige to milk every last dime out of that core membership. David Miscavige. I am proud to announce the discrimination is over. Your tax donations, deductions on donations to Scientology will no longer be disallowed by the Internal Revenue Service. Then you have a reporter who uh, is interviewed again. In the 80s, while Hubbard was in hiding, Scientology was going through some very severe litigation, in particular a lawsuit in Oregon and one in Los Angeles. One of them did produce a $30 million judgment. This scared Scientology. They realized they were vulnerable. So they asked Scientologists, okay, give us a few thousand dollars. You'll get a nice ribbon or something. You're not going to get any courses from it. And this was new. The idea that you would just give them money to defend against lawsuits. And that grew and grew. And now Scientologists are constantly under intense pressure to just hand yeah, and money no, This over. was like what we were talking about earlier, about how L. Ron Hubbard would want it, people to give him money, and we were kind of comparing that to, like, the other religions. And, you yeah. know, I mentioned that it got worse. Well, this is it getting worse because it got to a point to where now the leadership of Scientology are, are kind of seeing their uh, congregation as no more than you know, resources to be exploited as far as, you know, just give us Mm -hmm. money now. You don't get anything uh, for it like you used to, like you would, like when you have to pay for these courses. Now you're just giving us money just in the name of the church. I mean, good Lord, man. How, How indoctrinated do these people have to be to, you know, give up? Well, they want superpowers, and then they know that they have, like, black PR files yeah, on them. So. <laughs> so then it cuts back to Paul Haggis, and he says, They pitch themselves as being the underdog, as being the victim, and you identify with that. But then they start hitting you up for bigger and bigger donations. And I got a lot of pressure, and I think I donated another $250,000 to them under pressure. They really, I can't they even really know how to that. do it. He just was after me and after me, and they said, we're under attack, Paul. (laughs) They guilt trip you into doing it. Then you have Marty Rathbun. He said, this one guy who donated $25 million for no, you know, just straight donation to this, to the Scientology war chest. Churches are tax exempt because they're supposed to provide a public good. To prove that that good, prove that good to the IRS Churches aren't supposed to hoard their money. They're supposed to spend it on services for the faithful. 
Under this pretense, the church had made massive investments in tax-free real estate all over the world. And when it comes to the labor costs, they are almost free. Then Tom DeVock comes in. The max I got paid, you know, on a weekly basis was 50 bucks um, for 28 years. Just, wow. (laughs) Sea Org workers take home something between 6 and 40 cents an hour. God damn. Hey, Mike, you're going to get a raise. Instead of making (laughs) 6 cents, you're going to make 15 cents an hour, buddy. So if you've got very low labor costs, no taxes to pay and wealthy people giving you donations, you can see why Scientology has amassed huge piles of money. And how much are they worth? This is a bit of a mystery, but just recently I obtained tax records, and this is the reporter talking again, that Scientology does have to turn in. Three of the main entities of Scientology, and there are 20 or 30 of them, but their top three, just on their own, have a book value of $1.5 billion. It's stunning how much money a nonprofit has been able to amass. Then Tom DeVault comes back in. It is a crime that we've given them religious recognition and that they can hide behind it. Meanwhile, you got very good people in there and their lives are being destroyed. It is. And it was just all because the IRS people are like, oh, we don't want to deal with these lawsuits. Here's your tax exempt status. I really think they should be investigated again by the IRS. Well, the same the same same thing might happen, but the the um kind of the membership of Scientology has actually been... Oh, it's been dwindling. It's been totally taking a dive. And this documentary had a lot to do with that, I'm sure. And they're still, like, on their Freedom publication, like, on their website now, the Freedom website, they're still trying to act like the documentary is is full of shit and, and all of that and whatever. So it goes back to Lawrence Wright. When I started this story, I stumbled across an FBI investigation of the church. They were investigating human trafficking. It seemed that people were being confined against their will. There were lots of reports of people being physically abused and the exploitation of labor and child labor. All of these things were questions that the FBI had while that investigation was going on. A case was FBI had while that investigation was going on. A case was being heard in Colorado. The Headleys, who were suing the church for many of these same violations. And the court ruled in that case that these are all essentially practices that are protected by the religious clause of the First Amendment. Once that ruling came out, the FBI dropped its investigation. I think it was an indication that the church is protected. How the fuck is human trafficking and abuse of child labor and child laws protected under the First Amendment under this religious religious clause? That's a serious fucking flaw in, in our constitution law or a constitution need to amend that shit so then it cuts to david miscavige and he's still on the podium in his like fucking hitler youth rally and he's saying (laughs) before ending cycle completely on the irs there is one thing i wish to do and then david miscavige turns to the porch of lrh and his salutes him and he goes sir done (laughs) <laughs> Which is, like, the most awkward and blocky way to, like, end yeah. that big, elaborate speech. Not thank you. Yeah, like, like, sir, mission accomplished. Like, that ha- that yeah. would have been, like, a better, but he goes, sir, done. Like, <laughs> like, what a fucking doofus. So, it gets really doofy <laughs> with the We Stand Tall music video. <laughs> 
So Marty Rathbun comes in at this point, and and this is after they've shown the We Stand Tall music video, which I may cut in. They haven't shown the whole thing; they've only shown part of it. But I may so I may cut in bits of that music vid that song on here on this on this episode. And if you get a kick out of that, folks, definitely check out the parody that Saturday Night Live did of this We Stand Tall music video. Yeah. So they show this god awful music video, just total like <laughs> Folgers you know 90s cringe yeah just cringe in every way and uh so marty comes in he goes the we stand tall thing uh this again was part of this whole irs thing and miscavige kind of had this song composed by the musician group they had up in the studio he was trying to turn this into eh, this was a result of power of this movement which was such bullshit because it was all about control when he got absolute control he went absolutely bonkers then the guy, and then you have a off-camera guy ask a question. You know, most religions are tax exempt, and many have beliefs that practices that in the modern context would be considered strange. Is Scientology any different? And then a reporter answers. I mean, if you go to a Christian or a Jew or a Muslim and ask them, "What do you believe?" They can basically describe their most important parts of their religion in a minute or two. Well, what does a Scientologist believe? You need to be in Scientology for seven or eight years and in for a couple hundred thousand dollars before you finally learn this backstory of Xenu the Galactic Overlord. <laughs> now, if you were told that on day one, how many people would join? Exactly. But if they were upfront about it, if they, if, I'd have more respect for them. But it's that sort of bait and switch that people are told, oh, it's an applied philosophy to help you with your communication. Oh, Yeah. So why is Tom Cruise paying one thousand bucks to have invisible aliens pulled out of his body? Then it has to take. Yeah, I agree with every single tenant of that. It, you know, and that's yeah, what so I've, that's I. what I've been saying this whole time is like uh, they didn't tell you that in the orientation, you know. And and yeah, I mean the reporter just like echoes that sentiment. Then it uh, it, it uh, cuts to David Miscavige here. Um, it, well, it's actually. This is a big Tom Cruise ass-kissing campaign, what's coming up here in the documentary, <laughs> is because Tom Cruise was kind of thinking about uh, leaving the church and all that, but it, uh-huh. but it's kind of just introducing Tom Cruise, and it's got, again, the uh, showing the stage here, the Church of Scientology, and it's got this voiceover guy going, what happens when your zone of influence is the global stage? How much must one do to call themselves a Scientologist? How much so that when their head hits the pillow, they can live with themselves knowing what they knowing they did all they could do. This is our final story this evening. It's a story that affects every Scientologist. For all of us are the benefactors of what he presents, talking about this magical man. And who is this man? <laughs> Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Cut some mic render. Tom Cruise is the guy. Miscavige and Cruise have been pretty buddy-buddy way back to Days of Thunder. He was on the set with him. He went skydiving with him, was hanging out with him all the time. And then that was when Tom first met Nicole. He had really fallen for her. They got married. Now, is uh, was, was Days of Thunder a good movie, Mike? I like it. I know a lot of people don't like it. I think it's just Top Gun with race cars. But even if it is Top Gun with race cars, so? <laughs> and by the way, God, how fucking hot was Nicole Kidman back? Oh, yeah. I mean, good Lord. Yeah. She was just gorgeous. She was so hot and sexy. Sorry. Little little <laughs> turned on right now thinking of Nicole Kidman back in the day. So uh, Lawrence Wright comes in at this point and he goes, uh, you know, talking about how Tom Cruise got married to Nicole Kidman. This posed a dilemma for the church because Nicole's father is a well-known psychologist in Australia. 
from the church's perspective, he's the enemy. He's a suppressive person. How could you, how could you ignore me like this? Because Nicole is still in a relationship with her father. That makes her dangerous. She's a potential trouble source. Uh, PTS. And because Tom is related to her, this all causes trouble from the church's perspective. You have to break that dynamic. You cut to Marty. Nicole, her biggest beef was that Tom was becoming increasingly like Dave. And that would be terrifying. Yeah. She really got him to drift away from the church, and Tom was not really actively involved in Scientology between 92-ish all the way up until 2001. Oh, that's why. Well, I don't know. There's still a lot of films that he's done lately that I like, despite the fact that he's kind of crazy. So, Mark Rinder comes in and he goes, They were away for more than a year shooting Eyes Wide Shut in the UK, and Cruz was not in touch with Miscavige, and this drove Miscavige crazy. Come back to Marty. I was assigned to um, get him back in, and that was coincident with, and I was to facilitate the breakup with Nicole Kidman. Like, just, that's all kinds of fucked up. It really is. And the off-camera guy, he asked, like, and how'd you do that? Uh, well, through a lot of auditing. And every session I ever gave to Tom Cruise, there were dozens upon dozens of them over a three-year period, and I had to write detailed reports and send them directly to David Miscavige. Then Tom DeVock comes in and he says, I would sit there every night with our scotch and watch and listen to Miscavige comment about Cruz's sex life and what, yeah, how perverted he was and why is he getting uh, daily reports on Cruz, you know, is the question he was posing. Miscavige really wanted to get him back into being somebody that he could use to lure people into Scientology and increase his own status. I was also involved in the legal team and actually hiring investigators to investigate Nicole. Tom wanted to know exactly who she was talking to, so we want so he wanted to tap her phone. If you men only knew, when I reported that that day, and that that's basically just a clip from Eyes Wide Shut, where Nicole Kidman's like, "If you men only knew," and then when I reported that day to Miscavige, I reported it like, "I mean, he wants to tap her phone," and he said, "God damn it, get it done." And so I arranged through the Scientology's consulaire to get the private investigator who physically installed a wiretap on her home. And those tapes had come in, and I forwarded them them to David Miscavige. Now, that's true, Tom. It's pretty dickish of you. Like, really. I could... Dude, the amount of fucking money I would pay... If I could see a tape of Tom, uh, one of Tom Cruise's auditing sessions, <laughs> I mean, I feel well. You kind of already kind of saw one with that video that's like all just praising Tom Cruise of the Scientology thing, and he's all like, <laughs> "Oh God, no!" But I mean, one where he's like literally just in a room, being like, "Yeah, I, you know, what kind of crazy shit is this guy saying?" Yeah. So Lawrence Wright goes on to say the church then turned its attention to their adopted children, Tom Cruise. I mean, come on. Yeah. The, oh, the children are not safe. Um, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman's adopted children and their mother to make sure that the custody went to Tom. Then Marty Rathburn said, uh, Tommy Davis, uh, he was my liaison who uh, who had to do all things that are required to please Tom Cruise while he was being put through the Scientology hoops by me. He also was uh, part of this whole re-education program so that they would conclude that their mother was a suppressive person. And that was successful. It was all going according to plan. And of course, Miscavige would really pump the oxygen into that little fire, you know, 
Miscavige was brilliant at flaming people's fears and building up their egos. Which makes sense why Tom Cruise is still with the Church of Scientology, because he's so good at building up egos. Then you then it cuts back to Jason McGay. And uh there's an off camera. Uh the I think it's the uh the director who asks him a question. So you were being audited by Marty at the same time he was auditing Cruise? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, Tom Cruise. Tom would go in, and I would go in, and Tom would go in, and I would go in, and so, you know, and and I've been audited by the best auditors on the planet. The best auditor, hands down, I mean, like, kind of Michael Jordan, Wayne Gretzky kind of auditor, is Marty. They stole him. You know? Tom thinks he's supposed to be David Miscavige. By 2004, Tom Cruise was the most gung-ho Scientologist in the world, and Miscavige wanted to recognize him for it. He called it the Freedom Medal of Valor, and they put together this 35-minute video. <laughs> of just circle-jerking Tom Cruise. Yeah, pretty much is what this video consists of. And you, you and, they, and they had they had the Mission Impossible theme. Yeah. Oh, so corny and cringy. So in... IIS Freedom Medal of, Medal of Valor winner... Tom Cruise. <laughs> so in it, they just pump up this idea that Tom Cruise is the ambassador of Scientology to the world. And then it plays the clip of this crazy video. He's known as the biggest movie star ever. Tom Cruise travels <laughs> the world, meeting with ministers, ambassadors, and the American State Department, advancing LRH technology straight into the corridors of power. And then it cuts to Tom Cruise. It's about <laughs> improving conditions. It allows you to find out for yourself. These are things we can do to help. And then it cuts back to the reporter. They even did a calculation where they figured between his films and all the opinion leaders that he had met and all the travel he had done, that Tom Cruise had introduced LRH technology to over one billion people of the earth. No question, he has been a huge asset to them. And they actually showed the clip where it shows this like stupid video that through... Logic that it pulls out of its ass is showing that because he of all the movies that he's done and and all the money that's been made by these films, that means that all of that leads to people getting exposed to Scientology. He's just like, yeah, and that's like, yeah, Tom Cruise is all like, I think it's a privilege to call yourself a Scientologist, and it's something that you have to earn. And then it cuts to <laughs> Marty, and he's like, Scientology loves to use the word end phenomena. Entry level has an end phenomena, you know that you attain and tom cruise shows that that video with him in the black turtleneck sweater <laughs> that cuts back to tom cruise a scientologist is someone who can look at the world and really see what it is not only look at it and see it but be able to go poof and be effective and do something about it no, it's like, like he's even crazier than that you know he's it's like scientologist is someone who can look at the world and really see what it is not only look at it and see it but be able to go poof and be effective, and do something about it. And he's arrogant, and, and as untouchable as he could possibly be. At the same time, he looks like an utter crazy paranoiac. <laughs> and, uh, I know, I know, I know, you know, she, they said, so, like, have you met an SP? And I looked at her, and I thought, oh, what a beautiful thing. Because maybe one day, it'll be like that. You know, you know what I'm saying? Maybe one day, It'll be that, wow, SPs? Like, they'll just read about those in the history books. 
You know? An SP is a suppressive person, like a, a person that is against Scientology or is somehow hurting Scientology in some way. So after that craziness, Nick, you know, Nick, Nick Cruz, it's not even Tom Cruise. It's some other guy. It's Nick, Nick Cruz. No, Tom Cruise. <laughs> Tom Cruise uh, being just absolutely batshit insane. And it's hilarious, you know, but it's also kind of scary because you realize like this guy, this, this, this religion is really tapping into a part of his brain that is not good. So it cuts to Marty. He says, that's where it takes you. That's the end phenomena of the Scientology bridge. And then you have Jason Begay. And I love this. Uh, <laughs> Great. No quote nonsense here. quote here. All Scientologists are full of shit. You know, they lie. Oh, I'm doing great. You got to get on Sev. And, you know, and, and they're fucking, I've got, I've got a fucking migraine right now. And I've never felt so shitty. You know, that's the fucking life. And then this is Tom Cruise, because of Tom Cruise. There's, there's, there's nothing part of the way for me. It's just, Woo! <laughs> Dude, he's a stark raving <laughs> lunatic. And you guys gotta look up this interview of Tom Cruise. Like, just type in Tom Cruise Scientology interview or something, dude. It is like, mm-hmm. it is complete batshit crazy. All right, so uh, you had Mike Rinder saying, like, he drank the Kool Aid. And in the eyes of Miscavige, Tom Cruise is the perfect Scientology celebrity. And then you had Lawrence Wright, who goes on to say, uh, and nobody's benefited more from his membership. I mean, the amount of free Sea Org labor, Sea Org members make 40 cents an hour. And I don't think there's any way Tom Cruise is not aware of that. And it cuts back to Mike Rinder, and he's talking about how the church did all this other stuff for him. The church has done so much for him. They tricked out all his cars and his motorcycles. Oh, I want a new limo. We'll build it for you. Decked out of Tom Cruise's hangar in Santa Monica. Installed all the audiovisual stuff in Mike in, in Cruise's home. And then the report, in Tom Cruise's home. And the reporter goes on to say, Tom Cruise had expressed this fantasy of wanting to run through a meadow with Nicole Kidman, and so everybody had to work and till the soil. And then David Miscavige didn't like it, so the whole thing had to be ripped up <laughs> and done again. And this was at the Gold Facility, which is this desert facility where this uh, all kinds of great stuff, you know. Um, if you're Tom Cruise, that is. Uh, it's a wonderful living quarters, and it's got a gym. This is just hilarious. It really is. I'm just imagining that scenario where the whole, like, Miscavige is all like, What is this? Damn it, do it again! <laughs> what is this piece of shit crap you guys call a field? Rip the whole thing up and do it again, or I will pistol whip you with my Desert Eagle. <laughs> So then you have Tom DeVot, and he's all like, when Cruz comes up, everybody's told in advance, you better have a fucking smile on your face. <laughs> Jesus. Everyone had to call Cruz, sir. <laughs> then they play this stupid ass clip of uh, Tom Cruise at some party, and this is his birthday party. Oh, yeah, it's his birthday party. And so he's like singing old time rock and roll by Bob Seger, and Tom Cruise gets up there in typical, you know, hammy tom cruise fashion he grabs a mic from her and he's like you know starts singing in his shitty tom cruise singing <laughs> voice like and anyone who's seen uh what, what was that movie the rock star uh oh uh um 
Rock of Ages. He actually wasn't bad in that, I thought. He thought he was he saying better in that than he did here. Yeah, it was probably doctored up in some way. So, the reporter goes on to say, uh, it's this side-by-side world. There are celebrities like Cruz and Travolta, and then, you know, there are people who tell terrible tales of what happened to them in the church, being imprisoned in really horrible psychological games. Then Lawrence Wright goes on to say, Tom was in Spain. They were opening up a new Scientology church in Madrid, and he was overheard to complain that he needed a new girlfriend. And soon after that, a young Scientologist pre-med student named Nazanin Boniati, uh, she was told that she was going to get a special assignment. Um, years later, Nazanin became a successful TV actress, and she would have a small part in, Paul, in a Paul Haggis film. But at the time, she was ded- a dedicated young Scientologist who believed in the church's claims for his humanitarian mission. In fact, she set a monthly record for selling books for the church. Nazanin may not speak publicly about her experiences because of an NDA or non-disclosure agreement uh, the church pressured her to sign, but um, this reporter discovered details from FBI testimony regarding her ordeal. David Miscavige assigned Nazanin's case to a key church official, Greg Wilhere. He put her through a one-month program of on-camera interviews, intensive auditing, and security checks. And here you have Lawrence Wright, who gives more details about it. She was moved into the Celebrity Center, separated from her family, and certain problems were addressed during this period of time. One was that she had a boyfriend. She is handed a transcript of his auditing session in which she admitted that he had an affair, so she broke up with him. Then Will here took her to an orthodontist to have her braces removed. At Burberry and other stores in Beverly Hills, he bought her $20,000 worth of clothes. At the Celebrity Center, a man who worked for Cruz's hairstylist Colored Nazanin's hair to Cruz's liking. Nazanin was told that her makeover was a part of the church's humanitarian mission. She had to look her best for conferences with world leaders. Only after she was flown first class to New York did she discover the actual role that the church wanted her to play. She was to be the girlfriend of Scientology's biggest star. Within a month, Nazanin was living with Cruz. While at his house in Telluride, Miscavige came to visit. Overcome by a severe headache, Nazanin had a hard time understanding Miscavige, which infuriated him. The next day, Cruz, inches from her face, pounded his fist on the table and screamed at her for insulting the head of the church. Two weeks later, church henchman Tommy Davis delivered the news to Nazanin. The relationship with Cruz was That's over. such a gross scenario to me. It is. They took this poor girl who was, you know by all accounts, a a good individual who was Mm -hmm. just trying to, you know, be more on the humanitarian side of things as far as the church went. And they, like, took her, like, some kind of, like, prostitute in, like, you know, the, uh, that, what, Richard Gere, not, or the, um, uh, what was that movie with the prostitute, that, uh, Pretty Woman, yeah, yeah almost woman, in like yeah. a pretty woman scenario, they like groom her and turn her into this like debutante, and you know, just hey, you're gonna be Tom Cruise's g- girlfriend. You know, it's 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 like 
It's like a mail order bride thing or something like that, yeah. you know? But this was like a very intelligent, capable girl. Well, intelligent aside from the fact that she joined Scientology, which yeah. is a severe mark on her intelligence. But that, besides the point, you know, it's it, it, just hearing that story, I just, it just felt so gross inside. It is. Hearing that. It is. And it gets even grosser. Paul, it cuts to Paul Haggis and he gives some more details. And they, according to her, came to her apartment with her mom and found every photograph of the two of them together and took them away. Every scrap, every letter, everything. They, as if it never existed. And she was really upset because she had been really hurt by the whole thing. And she'd made the mistake of telling her friend who immediately went to tell someone in the church. She agreed to do punishments, like cleaning out the public bathrooms on her hands and knees with a toothbrush, while other people she knew were stepping over her. She did nothing wrong, other than tell her friend that she was heartbroken, and this is the way that she was treated? The church claims that Miscavige has no involvement in Cruz's personal life, and that the search for Cruz's girlfriend never existed. Then they play a clip of Tom Cruise on the podium at the church, and uh, Tom Cruise talking about Miscavige, and he's saying, I want to tell you something. I have never met a more competent a more intelligent, a more tolerant, a more compassionate being outside of what I've experienced from LRH. And I've met leaders of leaders, okay? I've met them all. And so I say to you, sir, COB, we are lucky to have you, and thank you very much. And COB, he's, re- he's referring to uh, David Miscavige. He should have said SOB because that's what he really is. But Exactly. While Miscavige would do anything for the church's most famous celebrity, Miscavige began to turn against the Sea Org's highest-ranking executives. And this gets... Nutty. Fucking nuts. Cuts to Marty Rathbun, and he gives some deets. He pretty much had international management shut down. He was into this deep paranoia thing about everybody is out to get him. He very definitely wiped out that, that organizational pattern in order to have ultimate power. In 2004, Miscavige ordered the top officers of the Sea Org to the Scientology's gold base in Southern California. He forced them to live in a pair of double-wide trailers that came to be called The Hole. The doors had bars put on him, the windows all had bars put on them, and there was one entrance door that a security guard sat at for 24 hours a day. Uh, They had to stay there, sleep there, it stunk, and you know, there were ants crawling around. You'd sleep about an hour or two a night. Um, you were in such a mental state that you're very controllable, very suggestible. Uh, we were told we needed to come up with what each other's crimes were against Miscavige and Hubbard so that we could eventually get out of the hole. It's just the hole. Like, you know, it, it's just... Have you heard of that board game, Nightmare? No. Where it's like you play that you it's a horror game and like there's this VHS tape you play and there's this guy who is basically tells you where to go and there's sort of punishments and stuff so he's be like uh what is your name maggot you go to the black hole <laughs> you know it's just like you go to the hole <laughs> it's just so absurd you it's just like you cannot believe it I mean. It's absurd enough that you got, like, this religion where people believe in some alien and volcanoes and atom bombs and Dayton's and all this other shit. But then you have, like, high up, higher up members in the organization getting thrown in a hole. 
Marty Rathburn goes on to say, Scientology is really good at making you think that you are a scoundrel. Confess your crimes. Confess your crimes. What have you done? And Tom DeVault, yeah. And Tom DeVault, he's like, fights would break out. Miscavige would get me all riled up. And I remember one time, Mike had done something, or not done something, and I don't remember, and I was supposed to go beat him up. Lawrence Wright says, one executive was made to mop up the bathroom floor with his tongue. Ew! Another was put into a bucket and pummeled by some of the women and and was called a lesbian. Okay. Well, that's just... Oh, which which we later find out that uh, it it is uh, homosexuality is seen as a disease, according to the Church of Scientology, a disease that can be cured. So uh, that was apparently... Yeah, but I'm just like, wow, what an extreme change of events. Like, really... Like what an abuse! Again, of power. I gotta wonder if they mentioned this in the orientation. <laughs> <laughs> if you get on Miscavige's bad side, um, you will be forced to lick the bathroom floor with your tongue. And uh, if you're gay, well, God forbid you're gay, because then we're going to have to torture you. We're going to have to uh, put your head, put a bucket over your head, and we'll have some women. Come in and just smack you over the head and call you a lesbian. So Mike Rinder goes on to say there was a very powerful air conditioner which blew straight down. It was set on maximum cold and a guy was made to sit in a chair and he had water poured on his head until he literally turned blue. I mean, that's that's like fucking terrorist torture shit. You know, the type of stuff we do to try to get terrorists to give us information. Like, like, how (laughs) did he not die if he was literally turning blue? Yeah. That sounds pretty serious. So then you have time to vote. Miscavige slapped me across the face, knocked me on the ground, and kicked me a couple times. Marty Rathbone flailing fist, kneeing him in the stomach, getting him on the floor, and then there's Tom again. And you think, you want to get up and retaliate, but you also think, I've got 75 other people who are all likely to tackle me if I did. And then you got the sheer shock of it. There's Here's the equivalent of the Pope suddenly knocking you on the ground, and you're thinking, I must have really screwed up. Lawrence Wright goes on to say, it was a poisonous environment. People were really frightened. And this went on for years. This isn't a couple of days. The nominal president of the church, this man named Heber Gench, he was in there for seven years. <laughs> fuck <laughs> holy shit and you got dave miscavige here what is the statement god helps those who help themselves well in scientology we're engaged in helping people help themselves so they can fully comprehend and understand god like this whole uh scene here that mike rinder marty rathbun and tom devote uh, talk about is just crazy one night, Miscavige comes into the hole with a boombox. He said, I'm going to teach you all a lesson. We're going to play musical chairs. And musical chairs is a Scientology administrative term for when you move people from different posts rapidly and you create an instability. They played the damn music. He said, we're going to play at the Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. And he emphasized the line, nothing matters anymore. That's your whole attitude. That's where you live. That's who you are. Playing that music and stop it. And everyone would go and, and have to grab a chair. And there's one person left standing. What Miscavige has warned them is that the last person who, remain, who remains gets to stay. Everybody else, you're expelled. You're going to be thrown out of the Sea Org. These people were fighting to stay in the hole. 
And the film did a great job showing this ridiculous craziness unfold in a very cinematic way. And you have, nothing really matters to me. You know, it's just like, uh, they're fighting for this, throwing people around, scratching, kicking, they're tearing chairs apart, ripping clothing, whatever it took. And then, and then nothing happens. Out of the goodness of my heart, you can stay. You better come clean. You better... I have some good confessions. Out, I better get some good confessions out of you. I mean, you know... <laughs> and Marty says, As much as they get into everything that you ever think or do, they never got into my think on this score. That I would never go... Uh, that I would never go to prison. And so it was inevitable when I got... When I... He literally created this prison camp. It was inevitable that I wasn't going to last there. And then Marty left the church in 2004. Yeah! Yeah. Good for you! Way to go, Marty. Then you have Tom DeVock. It's so embarrassing to have ever been involved with, to even think about it. God, I I can't even believe I'm talking about it. It was bad. Tom left the church in 2005. Yeah! Then uh, the narrator asks a question. Let's say the FBI showed up at the hole and said, this is the FBI. We're letting everyone out. Do you think everyone would have said, oh, thank God, the FBI's here? Tom DeVott. No, I think that everybody, one for one, would have gone, what do you mean? We, we're doing this voluntarily. We like living in these conditions. And that cuts to a news clip of Anderson Cooper doing the Anderson Cooper 360. And he's, at, and he's saying, over the past week, we've been reporting on allegations of physical abuse inside the, church, inside the Church of Scientology. We spoke with the ex-wives of some of the men making claims of abuse. I read all of your affidavits. Obviously, your ex-husbands have made changes against David Miscavige. Have made charges. Sorry. I'm charges. Bra- my brain's breaking <laughs> down, folks. We've been doing this podcast for three hours. Um, obviously your ex-husbands have made charges against David Miscavige saying that they have uh, seen repeated acts of physical violence uh, perpetuated by Mr. Miscavige is any of that true and uh, the wives of the defectors are all like no no not one ounce of it that's not the character of of Mr. David Miscavige and then you got Mike Mike Rinder and he's like my ex-wife Marty Rathman's ex-wife Tom DeVott's ex-wife they were on Anderson Cooper, and they all came out of the hole. They were sent there to do that. They went back to the hole. It's just ridiculous. This line that my ex-wife said, I live with Mike Rinder for thirty-five year, over 35 years. I know every square inch of Mike Rinder's body. She said it because she was told to say it by Miscavige. And the proof of that is, when Tom DeVott's ex-wife then repeated the same thing over again, I know every inch of him. You've got to be kidding me. Everything that happens in the Church of Scientology is scripted. Don't ever turn the other cheek and acquiesce. Hit him back. Then the wives, it cuts back to the wives. Marty Rathburn suddenly went and leapt on top of Mike Rinder and fought him to the ground and started choking him and beating him. And nothing seems to have been done about it. Mr. Miscavige was not at the property at the time. And then Anderson goes, do you not have telephones? And one of the wives goes, of course we have telephones. I, I think you're being quite rude and quite <laughs> insulting. Here's the bottom line. Here, here, no, here's the bottom line. There is no history of violence in the church. As for somebody who ran PR for the church for a long time, do you have any regret for anything you did in that capacity? And then Mike Rinder answers the question. Well, 
I think the biggest regret is that when John Sweeney at Panorama was doing this program, it was a culmination of a lot. I mean, he had been in the hole for a year. I mean, I'd been in the hole for a year, and I got a hole in my head. And I had ended up being sent to England. And he was constantly going, well, why do you have private investigators following me? And I'm like, that never happened. Ever. Ever happened. And of course there were. I was following John Sweeney. Oh, there it is. Okay, there we are. He's got his camera, and he's standing there, and he's saying, I want a response. I have credible witnesses. Did David Miscavige physically assault you? And I said, it was allegations or absolute, utter rubbish. Absolute, utter rubbish. Have you been assaulted, my Miscavige? Many times. Many times. Perhaps more than anybody else. I was now sort of at the end of my rope. It was a real moment of clarity for me. I, I, I don't want to be doing this anymore. This is nuts. That was actually the last thing that I did before I left. Mike left Yay! in 2007. Then you have Jason McGay. And this is really sad because it's it sounds like through all the Scientology stuff, it fucked up his head. Like it totally just fucked him up. And I'm glad that he got out of it so he was able to get better. So I've been in Scientology for about two and a half years. I'm kicking ass. I felt like I had gotten out of the fucking trap. I didn't have I didn't have to have a problem. I said, I'm done with oddity. But they insisted on getting me back and said, just believe us. Believe us. I got so fucked up. I mean, they I went insane. I was like stuck somewhere in a tiny spot behind my eyeballs. Looking this way. I I, I mean I never experienced anything like it. Ten fucking years. I was worse than the day that I was when I walked in. It was by design. Because they needed to. They, to keep me in there. So basically, they had put a whole new case on me. So they could run it. And they just kept trying to fucking keep me stuck in. It was crazy. So I finally said, I'm going my way. You guys go yours. I was pissed. I was sad. I was disillusioned. And I thought, maybe somebody could interview me, ask me some questions about Scientology. How I got into Scientology, and why I got out. Post this two-hour thing, and it was was the number one thing on YouTube for two days before it mysteriously disappeared. Jason left in 2007. Yeah! The best traps, you get a guy to just keep himself in jail. Right? And that's what Scientology does. I started getting all this communication because of that video. You know, you saved my family. Uh, going back here, okay. You saved my family. You know, you've, I, I finally had the courage to leave after I watched your thing. You know? And I mean, like, there's blood and tears. And then I started to find out, you know, all the stuff that was really happening. You know, I lost money. I got fucked. And then I found out about the abuse in the Sea Org. And it felt like, fuck me. I gotta do something about it. And finally I tracked down Marty Rathbun. And everybody thought he was dead. He was in fucking Mexico. I went down there and I basically convinced him to talk. And like, we gotta do something. And then he started his blog. So, that was a good Jason Begay, by the way. Um, Marty, Jason, and Mike speak out. Uh, There was a beating every day. If it wasn't him doing it, it was from him inciting others to do it. I think that it's a cult. I'm doing my own thing. I want to get on my with my life. I'm telling the truth. 
And then you got Paul Haggis. Suddenly, I heard senior members of the church were speaking out. So I started to look and I started to read. And then I started to reach out to people. Two of my daughters are gay. And they told me, uh, and they told me how they'd been treated within the church. I didn't know. Paul Haggis's daughters were openly harassed by church members for being gay. Investigating further, Haggis discovered that the church doctrine viewed homosexuality as a disease that only Hubbard's teachings could cure, and a California chapter of Scientology had supported a ban on gay marriage. I I can't be a part of an organization that doesn't support human rights for everyone. So I sent in a letter to 25 friends of the church that I was resigning, and I'd hoped that they'd read this letter and be horrified by the things that I'd found out. A few days later, I drive home, and there have to be 10 people standing in my front yard. I recognize them. They're my friends. They said, Paul, you need to tear up this letter. We need you to get all the copies and tear them up and resign quietly. I said, I don't do that. You know, I'm sorry. I don't do that. I sent a copy to Marty Rathbun. He put it on his blog, one page a day, and didn't reveal my name until Friday. The Friday, Monday morning, I woke up. 600 of the top newspapers of the world had it. You know, it was in Bulgaria. I mean, it was reprinted in seven languages. I went, oh my God, what have I done? Then it cuts to Marty Rathburn. I mean, it did garner a lot of interest. And that- People will judge you one way or another. I figured people would judge me as really stupid. But then, I was really stupid. I was a part of this for 30 years before I spoke out. Paul left the church in 2009. Yay! Yeah! I felt deeply ashamed. Why didn't I do it earlier? Why didn't I look earlier? So then it cuts to Sarah Goldberg, the chick who had been, who had reached the highest spiritual level in Scientology. And she's saying, people are so indoctrinated and have been in Scientology a really long, long time. Or they've grown up in it and they don't know anything else. It's so scary to them to have to start all over. And it takes a really strong person to stand up to them and say no. In 2009, my son was on staff at the church, and the Truth Rundown came out in the St. Pete Times, exposing what was going on with the beatings and the people in the hole. The church was very mad at my son because he knew it was going to happen, and he didn't tell them. Uh, And he didn't tell them because he had a good friend that became friends with Mike Rinder and Marty Rathburn, and he believed them, what they were saying in the Truth Rundown. The church was threatening that he was going to get declared a suppressive person if he didn't disconnect from his friend. My son, was uh, he was raised a Scientologist, you know. He'd been on staff. He made 30 bucks a week. He headed up to their, he headed up their Boy Scout troop. He was like this consummate youth of Scientology. The Continental Justice Chief called him on the phone, and it was after that the declare came down, and, I was, and he was just devastated. And the church told his friends everything they could find in his PC folder to ruin his reputation. I wrote this petition. I tried to put in everything good my son had done. And then they sent Sarah this letter. Dear Sarah, thank you for the letter that you sent regarding the situation with Nick Lister. I cannot approve that you continue your connection with Nick. And goes back to Sarah. No one's going to tell me when I can and can't speak to him. No one but me. And then it cuts back to the letter. Your committee of evidence findings and recommendations uh, recommended you be labeled suppressive, engaging in malicious rumor mongering to destroy the authority or repute of higher officials or leading names of Scientology. 
My husband was charged with that one because he was telling me what he had read on the internet about David Miscavige. They say, don't go on the internet, don't read, don't go on these sites. Wow. <laughs> Cuts back to Paul Haggis. From the time that I got in, for 30 years, I never read one critical thing about Scientology. When I finally decided to open my eyes and look, I was shocked. Just shocked. And then there's a news report. But if you're a member of the Church of Scientology and someone in your family or a friend or your spouse is skeptical or critical of the Church of Scientology, you are supposed to disconnect yourself from that person. And then you have Paul Haggis. Tommy Davis, who was a spokesperson for the church, he's being asked about the policy of disconnection. Anything that's characterized as disconnection or this kind of thing, it's just it's just not true. They're, 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 it's it, and this is this is like the quote from this guy. I think it's like it just isn't. It's just not true. There isn't. And Paul Haggis is like I confronted him about this, and I said, Tommy, I don't need to search outside to ask for to check research to see if other this has happened to other people. This happened to my wife. You asked her and me to disconnect from her parents because of something trivial they did years ago. And then Mark Rinder comes. Mike Rinder comes in and says, "My wife disconnected from me." My daughter, my son, my brother, my sister, my mother, all of my nieces and nephews. And that is the only family I have. And then Marty says, you know, you label these people suppressive so that, you know, everybody automatically, they're discredited and they must all disconnect from them. And that's how you keep people in a bubble. And then sit. Exactly. Yeah. And then you have Sarah. And this is a really sad story. And, And I just imagine having to do this, like, or imagine seeing someone you love do this to you. And that's what they do. I mean, my son was declared because he wouldn't disconnect from his friend. I was declared, and my husband was declared because he wouldn't disconnect from my son. Because we wouldn't dis- disconnect from my son. And now, guess what happened? Everyone connected to us just scatters to the wind. Through all this time, I have a daughter who's very much into the church. I have a granddaughter who's the love of my life and who loves her nana. And I was planning on talking to my daughter and trying to tell her what was really happening. She hugged me. She told me she loved me. And she said, I have to disconnect from you. So, um, I was, I just was concentrating on smelling her hair and and seeing the way she felt touching her skin on my face. And that's the last time I saw them. Sarah left the church in 2013. Yay! Yay! Even though that was a sad story. Even though that's a really sad story. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, yay, sad story. No, no. (laughs) So then you got Mike Rinder here. It really is the crux of how controlling is any religion over its adherents, and Scientology has perfected a lot of techniques of control. There is no other logical explanation as to why other than faith. And then you got Sarah. I mean, you you don't even have anything like this in other religions I can think of with this whole disconnect thing, you know? In cults you do. In cults, that that is a very big uh, construct, the the idea of, of cutting off from family and you know it wouldn't surprise me a lick if uh hubbard and miscavige especially miscavige because it sounds like he like really took the ball and ran with it when it came to all this fucked up bullshit that happened uh it wouldn't surprise me if they took a chapter from like the you know the jonestown stuff and uh yeah you know all, all like all that other kind of crap because that's what happened with uh jim jones and jonestown you know, he had mm-hmm. all the people who were in. That's an, that's another good documentary that's out there is the uh, Jonestown yeah. Massacre or whatever. Um, you know, he, he had those people 
uh, they didn't use the term disconnect, but they weren't allowed to keep in touch with their family members, you know, outside mm-hmm. of the cult. It makes it easier to control somebody and manipulate yeah. them. So Sarah goes on to say, your future, your eternity, all depends on you going up the bridge. It's scary. It's kind of like Christianity with hell. If they don't have the bridge, they can't go free. They don't believe they can get anywhere. They can get it anywhere else. It's like brainwashing. Really simple. I mean, that's a scary word, and it took me a long time to come to that conclusion. And that's what's that. That's what has occurred. Precisely. It's exactly what it is. The brainwashing. So you have Jason Begay, and he's quoted as like, "You you take on a kind of a matrix of thought that is not your own." Then Tom Devok. I think that's how. I and other people got involved and stuck through it for so long. Because when you're out, you look at it and you go, what the crap was I thinking, you know? I love how he's like, crap, and he's been swearing before. Uh-huh. And it's like, he just decides to do the crap thing. <laughs> so span- it goes back to Spanky. It- it's such a hard thing when you do wake up. You go, oh my god. Because you have this wave of regrets. I just started to think that maybe my entire life has been a lie. And then you have Paul Haggis. You just don't see it happening to you. You don't just you just don't see it happening to you. You justify so much. Cults, they prey on people. Suggesting that you know you should be able to think for yourself and tell you and then tell you exactly how you have to think and get out. Or get out. And if you get out, there will be consequences. So then we got then we got the squirrels. Got the squirrels. Good old squirrels. Um, about this guy who's like this fat fuck wearing a stupid shirt that says squirrel busters. Yeah, I mean, someone had to like screen print these shirts. You know, I mean, it's like this is the yeah. kind of this is the kind of shit that falls into the budget of Scientology, making these goofy yeah. ass shirts with uh, Marty's face and the on hats. it. Yeah, and the hats. So come on, Marty. So <laughs> come on, Marty. You got anything to say? What's your name? Why don't you answer this question? Beat it. I said, get off my property, boy. Yeah, it was funny how Marty turned into this, like, fucking, uh, like, southerner with a shotgun, uh, you know, s- sitting in a rock. You're not my property. Get off my property, boy. <laughs> so, it cuts to Marty here. He says, the real sustained campaign began in early 2009 when I spoke to the St. Petersburg Times, and I'd been hounded and hunted like wild prey. It's a policy of the Office of Special Affairs authored by L. Ron Hubbard. When somebody's speaking out against Scientology, investigate uh, to find out who the instigator is. And it cuts back to Jason McGay. I started getting calls from the church, and they're they're, they're really uh, coming after me. So according to a reporter here, they showed up at my mother's house. And this is just a reporter. This isn't even anybody yeah. who was ever a Scientologist. It says they showed up at my mother's house. The feeling of the pit... Maybe, maybe we should be yeah, careful. Yeah, I know. That's so why I was asking you, dude. Are you sure we're not going to get declared, uh, you know, suppressive uh, people? Um, so I don't know how they get our address. So oh, they'll get it. So they got, they, well, I anyway, I won't get into that. Uh, so they showed up to this reporter's house, and he's like, the feeling in the pit of my stomach, you know, knowing that Scientology's chief dirty tricks PI was just on my mother's front step. Step. They've tried to destroy me. There's no question. They create anonymous websites about me and smear me with a lot of garbage. www.whoistomdevok.com. They have a whoispaulhaggis.com. Paul Haggis, the hypocrite of Hollywood. This guy is a sex pervert, or this guy is a drug dealer. 
<laughs> then Marty Rathburn goes on to say, in the meantime, survey carefully to find out what he most values and protects. Immediately draw up a three-pronged program to threaten it effectively. I don't value anything more than Monique, which is his wife. That's why this campaign ended up on our doorstep. And then they show surveillance video of squirrels taping Marty's wife, saying, was she there? I knew they had their goons around. And then the guy rolls down the window, and I saw the truck, and he starts filming. And I go, okay, this is not good. What's going on? Uh, This is the cop saying this to the guy. They show a footage of uh, the police. This is great, because I love the cop. is just, like, not falling for this shit. He's like, what's going on? Uh, uh, oh, we're just doing a documentary. A documentary? Uh, oh, 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 a former Scientology deal. Uh, but it would probably be a good idea if you all went ahead. Now, if you got what you need, go ahead and leave the area. Sure. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> then this cuts to Marty's <laughs> wife, and she says, uh, I don't know who these people are. I don't know what they're capable of. And now that I have my son, I have a little Louisville slugger I keep next to me. It's been a nonstop onslaught for five years. And then they show another clip of these uh, squirrel hunting people on marty's doorstep he's like i told you to leave get out of here oh no i'm i'm leaving you can't even defend yourself on this can you what's your name i gave you my name marty what's your name marty i gave you my name <laughs> yeah i love that this is fat fuck like a goatee and shit i gave you my name marty the people on marty's doorstep were sent by scientology because the church has branded marty a squirrel a term invented by hubbard for former members who threatened church teachings david miscavige had you come all the way from yeah this is this is uh still marty uh, footage from the marty oh, thing yeah. so he's all like david miscavige had you come all the way from marty uh uh, uh san jose <laughs> marty Nate- you can't starts, do that. You can't do yeah, that, Marty. Like I just did at the guy's microphone or, or, yeah. or something like that. His, his camera. My, no, that's my personal property, Marty. Yeah, that's right. I got arrested, man. I got arrested for grabbing this guy's glasses. I said, don't look at her. You understand that? Yeah, I heard her. And of course, this guy had been stalking Monique for two years. He looks like a leering pervert. Like Norman Bates from Psycho. <laughs> And I didn't break his glasses. I just removed them from his from his face. <laughs> <laughs> and then they show the guy. He does. He's a leering pervert. They got it all on videotape from their surveillance house. It was filming 24-7, 365 for five years across the street from us. They do. They literally... And then they show, like, they literally have this house. And again, the kind of money that Scientology would have to have in reserves to just be able to, oh, we're going to either rent or buy this house, and for five years, you know, you're going to stalk this former guy who was in Scientology and chose to leave. And these people mm-hmm. would be stupid enough to where they would do, they would just do that, you know? They would just, yes, sir, yes, Mr. Miscavige, and they would go and, and, and you know, patrol this guy. Like, how fucking crazy and cult like do you do, like how explicitly like obviously not a peaceful and, religion and did miscavige choose the squirrel thing i mean that's like just no i mean they already silly. said that it's hubbard stupid. was the one who came up with that well really hubbard squirrels well he <laughs> says picture and pus- squirrels, squirrels. <laughs> in 2013 monique rathbun sued david miscavige in the church for harassment According to the reporter here, this lawsuit with Monique Rathburn, it's a brilliant legal strategy. 
If Marty sues, the church just says this is a First Amendment fight that should not be in a court of law. But Monique was never in Scientology. She's suing David Miscavige and asking to depose him. And Scientology for every Scientology yeah. will do anything to keep him out of that situation. And then you have uh, the voiceover narration. For every court date, the church hires a bevy of high-priced lawyers. They're determined to use every legal trick in the book to keep Miscavige from having to testify about church abuses or whether the religion of Scientology is actually operated like a business controlled by the whims of a single individual. In 2014, Miscavige celebrated the ongoing expansion of the church, but he was hiding a terrible secret. The church's active membership has dropped to fewer than 50,000 people, yet the financial value of Scientology is soaring. David Miscavige says here, How about we just say... 2013 is the year we went stratospheric. Uh, <laughs> I really, so I really uh, encompass his douchebaggery when I do that impression, yes. don't I? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a gift. The church is making investments and buying valuable real estate all over the world. That financial clout gives Scientology enormous power. It's a kind of tax-free shell company growing past $3 billion in assets. The church now no longer has a public face. There's no spokespeople, they don't do media interviews, and that suits Miscavige. There's nobody that he's willing to have to be the face of Scientology other than himself. But he's afraid to be interviewed by anybody, but fears that they're going to ask him questions that he can't answer, or that he doesn't want to answer. And Lawrence Wright is uh, interviewed here. What are the checks and balances on his power? There is none. So there are two things that could happen. One is the IRS would reconsider its tax exemption. That should happen. The only other thing is that some of these celebrity megaphones could turn against the church, and Tom Cruise should be leading that chorus. I, I don't, I don't see that happening. But you did have somebody, uh, Leia Remini, came out fairly recently, and uh, even has her own show. Yeah, I want to check that out. Where too. she's uh, completely dogging Scientology. Yeah, so you're Marty Rathman right now. Is there anything that okay. you look back on in terms of your own career in the church and think, wow, I wish I hadn't have done that? You know, we talked about karma earlier, and, you know, it, it still happens that it, it it's like, it's just this, I constantly get presented with who I was, and, you know, and I constantly don't like what I see. And I sort of constantly keep dying deaths. Um, And I don't know how many more deaths I have left, but... But I, but I regret, and I'm ashamed of, of uh, the entire experience, you know. Then you have Paul Haggis. What I take away from it is that we we lock up a portion of our own mind. We we willingly put cuffs on. We willingly avoid things that will or could cause us pain if we just if we looked, if we can just believe something. And we don't have to really think for ourselves, do we? And so I can't damn these people who aren't coming out or who are hiding once they come out because they're ashamed. You know, I, 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 I feel the same shame. And then the documentary ends on Sarah Goldberg saying, and I just, I'm fighting back by communicating, you know, it's a peaceful protest. I want the truth to be known. 
And that is going clear, folks. I feel <laughs> like I need to go clear with some alcohol after this this fucking thing, man. This this is uh this was quite the this was quite the big ass journey. <laughs> this is a double stuffed podcast. I mean, considering the fact that unsolved mystery segments are fifteen minutes long, I think we're going to be sticking with those for the ne- near future. Yes, <laughs> yes, um, yes. So, but I mean, when we talked about uh, the West Memphis Three stuff, we didn't go off a transcript. I mean, we did that. I mean, that'd be even longer. <laughs> yeah, but you know, to a part of me kind of wished we had some kind of a transcript to keep for reference because I feel like yeah. we're sometimes a little scattered in the delivery. But mm. um, yeah, so either way, I hope we hope that you all enjoyed this or at least somewhat. So yeah, I mean. I think our feelings about Scientology are pretty clear from the amount of times that we said bullshit and fucked up in this, yeah. in, in the doing of this episode, the doing, uh, whatever. <laughs> um, it's it's a call. It's it's a celebrity driven kind of new agey, uh, very expensive from what I understand. Even mm-hmm. before seeing this documentary, I uh I heard, you know, the prices of these audits were just crazy. Um, South Park did a whole thing on Scientology. They did an episode on Scientology many years ago. And it was actually why Isaac Hayes, who did the voice for Chef for, you know, all those years, he he quit the show, South Park, because they did an episode making fun of Scientology. No. And Isaac Hayes was a Scientologist. Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know... It's it's far reaching, especially in the celebrity world. And um, actually, a guy from that '70s show, the guy who played Hyde, uh, really? He well, all almost all the young people on that '70s show were Scientologists. And wow! Yeah, and he he actually came out recently. Well, he didn't come out, but he was outed uh, as yet another sex abuser. And Three of the four, Ooh. three of the four alleged victims were Scientologists. Ah, so it's. I was that true? Uh, well, it's or was it, it just was, a smear campaign by Scientology? I'm not sure, but it was alleged, and it was on Yahoo News, so it's got to be true. Because that's where <laughs> I get all my news. No, I'm just joking. But no, that that was reported though. <laughs> yeah, that's where you get it, you Yahoo. Oh wow, that was like a that was like a dad joke times th- ten. <laughs> yeah, it's the kind of joke David Miscavige. Mike, would you you say. already have the dad jokes on lockdown. <laughs> like, uh, you, all you need is a kid now, and you you've got them on lock. Uh. So um, yeah, I don't really know how to end this other than I hope everybody enjoyed it, and uh, it's very. You could end it on a lighter note, and you could play audio from that SNL thing if you want. Perhaps. <laughs> That would be kind of funny. Um, I don't know at this point if this has been broken down into two parts or not. Uh, we will see, but... I, I am going to say yeah, yes. But, yeah, probably so. <laughs> I'm looking forward into the future, <laughs> and the answer is yes. Well, anyway, you can find us on YouTube separately but equally by searching um, for Mike's YouTube channel, which is um, youtube.com slash Communications. He does movie reviews. And things that aren't Scientology related. And uh, my YouTube channel is YouTube.com slash Dancing with Ghosts. 
And I do TV, video game, sometimes very infrequently I do movie reviews. I actually did my first ever movie re- review on the movie Saw. Um, for- and I think you did a really good job with that. Oh, thank so. you. I, obviously, our review styles are completely different. Um, I did more of a kind of synopsis of the movie, and then I kind of gave my personal opinion at the end. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, you can find me on there, and I am uh, OT2 level clear, so uh, I have some, you know, there's still some some body thetans in me, but I got most of them. And yeah, we hope you have a rest, a good rest of your night, and we will see you next week. Toodaloo. See ya. What's up, guys? The new Dancing with Ghosts album that I have been working on is out now. You can buy it on iTunes or Bandcamp.com or anywhere else online where music is sold. Uh, If you go on Bandcamp, you can get a CD, a compact disc. Isn't that old school and retro of me? Remember those? Uh, Or you could just message me on Facebook and say, hey, I want a copy of your CD and I will mail it out to you. But uh, yeah, it's out now and it is it is finished and it's uh, it's good stuff. So uh, if you want to go out and check that out, then uh, like I said, search iTunes anywhere else. uh, Music is sold online or go to Bandcamp.com and search Dancing with Ghosts. Thank you. Tom Cruise on Tom Cruise Scientologist. I think it's a privilege to call yourself a Scientologist, and it's something that you have to earn. And because a Scientologist does, he or she has the ability to create new and better realities and improve conditions. Uh, being a Scientologist, you look at someone and you know absolutely that you can help them. So for me, it really is KSW, and it's just like, it's, it's something that uh, I don't mince words with that, you know, with, with anything that LRH does, but that policy to me has really gone, boy. And I, and I, I, there's a time I went through and I said, you know what, when I read it, I, you know, I just went, this is it. This is exactly it. Being a Scientologist, when you drive past an accident, it's not like anyone else. As you drive past, you know you have to do something about it because you know you're the only one that can really help. But that's that's what drives me is that I know that we have an opportunity and uh, to really help for the first time effectively change people's lives and. Uh, I am dedicated to that. I'm gonna, I'm absolutely, uncompromisingly dedicated to that. The orgs are there to help, okay, but we as, you know, as also the public, it's like, we have a responsibility. It's not just the orgs. It's not just Dave Miscavige. You know, it's not just, not just me. It's you. It's everyone out there kind of rereading KSW and looking at what needs to be done and saying, okay. Am I going to do it or am I not going to do it? Period.
And am I going to look at that guy or am I too afraid because I have my own out ethics to put in someone else's ethics? And that's all it comes down to. Because I won't hesitate to put ethics in on someone else, you know, because I put it ruthlessly in on myself. And I think that uh, I respect that in, in others. And, uh, you know, I'm there to help and we're here to help. And my opinion is, is that, look, you're either on board or you're not on board, okay? But just, if you're on board, you're on board just like the rest of us, period. We are the authorities on getting people off drugs. We are the authorities on the mind. We are the authorities on improving conditions. Criminon, we can rehabilitate criminals. Way to happiness, we can bring peace uh, and unite cultures. Uh, that once you know these tools and you know that they work, it's, it's not good enough that, that I'm just doing okay. Traveling the world and meeting the people that, I, that I've met, you know, talking with these leaders in various fields. They want help and they are depending on people who know and who can be effective and do it. And that's us. That is our responsibility to do that. It is the time now. Now is the time, okay? It is being a Scientologist, people are turning to you, so you better know it. You better know it. And if you don't, you know, go and learn it, you know? But don't pretend you know it and, or for, you know, whatever. It's like, we're here to help. I mean, if you're a Scientologist, you see life, you see things the way they are. In all its glory, you know, all of its complexity. Uh, and the more you know as a Scientologist, you don't become overwhelmed by it. <laughs> and, uh, I went, you know, she, they said, so, like, have you met an SP? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I thought, oh, what a beautiful thing, because maybe one day it'll be like that. You know what I'm saying? Maybe one day it will be that. Wow, SPs, like, they'll just read about those in the history books, you know? <laughs> the thing is, I just go through that tech, and it's it literally, it's, it's not how to run from an SP. It's PTSSP, how to shatter suppression, confront shatter suppression. You apply it, it's like, boom. Because they don't come up to me do that. Uh, they won't do it to me. Not to my face, you know, or anywhere in my vicinity where they feel they can be confronted, you know. It's not doing it. Look, I wish the world was a different place. I'd like to go on vacation and go and romp and play and just do that. You know what I mean? I mean, that's what I want it to be, okay? That's how I, I would, you know, there's times I'd like to do that, but... But I can't, because I know. I know, so... I, you know, once you know, you just, you, I, I have to do something about it. It's not... 
you know, you can sit here and wish it was different, and then you look at it and you go, okay, this is it, all right, okay, and there's that moment where you go, <laughs> you know, I have to do something, don't I? Yeah, I really have to do it because I can't live with myself if I don't, and, it's, and that really is it. I don't care if someone thinks it's hard or easy, it's either, either helping and contributing everything you can, or you're not. Uh, because I'm carrying my load, all right? And only that, as much as I'm carrying, I still feel like I gotta do more, all right? There's still a thing of, let's go. You can just see the look in their eyes. You know the ones that are doing, you know? And you know the spectators, who are the ones that are going, well, it's easy for you, or what am I doing? And it's just, that thing is, uh, I've canceled that in my area. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, man, you're either in or you're out. That's spectatorism, and it's something that, that is, we have no time for it now. So it's our responsibility to educate, create the new reality. You know, we have that responsibility to say, hey, this is the way it should be done. Because we do it this way, and people are actually getting better. And let's get it done. You know, let's really get it done and have enough love, compassion, and toughness. That, that you're gonna do it uh, and uh, do it right. And I have to tell you something. I really, it, it is, you know, it's rough and tumble. And it's wild and woolly, and it's a blast. It's a blast. It really is fun because, damn it, there is nothing better. To going out there and fighting a fight and suddenly you see things are better. I want to know that I've done everything I could uh, every day. And I think about those people out there who are depending on us. And uh, I think about that. And it does make me feel uh, like, man, there's, you know, we got more work. I need more help. You know, get those spectators either in the playing field or out of the arena, you know. <laughs> that's how I, really, that's how I feel about it. I do what I can, and I do it the way I do everything. <laughs> There's nothing part of the way for me. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> A Scientologist can be defined by a single question. Would you want others to achieve the knowledge you now have? In answering that question, Tom Cruise has introduced LOH technology to over one billion people of Earth. And that's only the first wave he's unleashed, which is why the story of Tom Cruise, Scientologist, has only just begun. Good evening. The church's active membership has dropped a few. <laughs> oh, <wait. laughs> I love that. No, no. I would love to hear. I would love to hear Miscavige say that. <laughs> no. So it just it, it was just him saying good evening. It wasn't him saying. Uh, can you imagine that yeah. good evening? The church's active membership has dropped to fewer than 50,000 people. 
Yet the financial... Va- yeah, that, that I fucked that up, so that's got to be an edit. Oh my god, three hours, 22 minutes, 43 seconds. I know. <laughs> I'm going this crazy. This should be two hours, huh? I'm going crazy we're almost, right now. We're almost done. I know. We're almost there. This would be interesting to see people's responses to this. <laughs> okay, so, um... Yeah. We're like, don't do that experiment again. <laughs> it's controlled by one single individual uh, in 2014, so ongoing expansion of the church. Good evening. We have no members. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So going back in now, Mike. Mike Rinder is quoted here. Yeah. The, <laughs> <laughs> Forgive us, folks. The, the 